Welcome to episode 10 of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, the podcast where we discuss and examine the 75 greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. And this week we've got a couple of familiar voices back. The same pairing that we joined us for the Master Planner trilogy, Woohoo! The Amazing Spider-Man, <laughs> Mr. Scott McElroy and Ben Merritt. Welcome back, guys. Hey, thanks for having us back. Thanks a lot. Especially to talk oh. about Spider-Man comics, like we do. It's kind of our thing. Yay! <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> and uh, just to, behind the curtain, you know, this is only, when we're recording this, this is only, uh, hasn't even been a week since the new Civil War trailer dropped with that awesome costume <laughs> of Spidey yeah. in the MCU. So we're even more excited. <laughs> are, are they calling him Spider-Man or are they calling him Underoos? <laughs> I like Underoos. That's hashtag Underoos. <laughs> yeah. And for those who are wondering which Spider-Man story in particular would have made number 10 on the countdown, oh, yeah. you know, the last double-digit entry, <sighs> it's Amazing Fantasy 15, written by Stan Lee, penciled by Steve Ditko. Inkers and colorists were not credited at the time, but I know Steve Ditko did his own inking for the bulk of Amazing Fantasy, so I believe he did it for this issue as well, with letters by Artie Simic. Cover date was August 1962, but the actual publication date was on or about June 5th, 1962. Yeah, nice. That's one week before my mom's born. Right on, right on. She should have she should have been born and then bought a lot of copies. Do you, do you use the Mike's Amazing World of Comics for the release date? I do, yeah. Yeah, it was good. I was kind of, kind of perusing that, and I guess, you know, Journey into Mystery. They have Journey into Mystery 83 was released during this month, which is first appearance of Thor. And the uh, Tales to Astonish 35, which was uh, the first Ant-Man in the co- in costume, Fantastic Four number six. So it was already six was already on the on the stands mm-hmm. when this uh, when this issue when this, this issue dropped. So pretty cool. Yeah, it was quite the time. It was, man. Yeah, probably. You know, in, since we're on rank ten, uh, should we sing Final Countdown? Since this is the top ten <laughs> by Europe, and it is on your trailer. It is on your trailer, Blaine. We, we already did that before. <laughs> we did that before we started recording. Me and, me and we did it privately, and I think we should keep it that okay. way. Okay, you sure? Yeah. Plus, technically, I don't actually have Europe's version in the trailer. I wanted an extra layer of defense in case they came after me for copyright issues. God, you're a smart so man. I've got a karaoke version. <laughs> nice. And those are the people that need to come after me. <laughs> So I've just got the extra degree of freedom there. Oh, yes. <laughs> Let it rain lawsuits. <laughs> anyway, Amazing Fantasy 15. Mm-hmm. To skip a bit to the end, mm. it made the list because of the Spider-Man story, but yeah. that's only one of the four stories in here. Right. So what I'm going to suggest is that instead of doing the issue in order, we do a very cursory rundown of the other three stories and then double back and do the actual Spider-Man. Because really, that's why yeah. it's here. That, that's a good idea. And this is actually, you know, the first time I've read these stories, too. You know, I've read, I've read the Spider-Man story, obviously, many, 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 many times, but this is the first, uh, doing, doing it for this podcast, this is the first time I've read all of, all of these, uh, remaining stories. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And it was, it was different. For those who aren't familiar with it, mm-hmm. Amazing Fantasy actually started as Amazing Adventures for the first six issues. Right. It was an anthology title with Dr. Droom, who later became Dr. Druid, the Avenger, as one of the mainstays. And it was a Lee Kirby collaboration. Right. From issue seven on, it became a Lee Ditko collaboration, and it was only in issue 15 where they knew it was being canceled that Stanley managed to slip in Spider-Man. Right, right. And 
reading this, I, I picked up the Amazing Fantasy or Amazing Adult Fantasy omnibus because it was actually Amazing Adult Fantasy from issues 7 through 14. Right. They dropped adult because teenagers were uncomfortable picking it up and reading it in public. At least that's what their letters said. Yeah, right. In this issue, too. In the Amazing yeah. Fantasy 15 issue. Like, yeah. I'm sure they didn't have to get it. It wasn't shrink wrapped in the back of. The I have a comic that I bought, um, one of the Captain Marvels during Civil War. It's a, a Greg Horn cover where she's like dressed in army fatigues, blowing on the barrel of a gun. <laughs> and uh, it was up on the top shelf. <laughs> Because when I bought comics at the time, I was getting them at gas stations. And it was up on the top shelf, and it was an awkward thing to buy. Yeah. <laughs> so we can get that, especially in the at least more publicly conservative 60s, in terms of what you admit. Right. <laughs> so most of issues 7 through 15 were a very different tone than the Spider-Man right. story. Because it, it was pitched to Dicko at that point, right? It was. It was actually... Uh, Pitch to Martin Goodman, because Stanley liked to give himself challenges, right? Right, right. Iron Man was his challenge to himself to make a warmongering billionaire despot uh, hero that people would get behind and support. You know, he gave himself all sorts of challenges like that. One of the challenges he wanted to do was to make the teenager the hero instead of the sidekick, and the publisher would have none of that. Mm -hmm. So he snuck it in here, and it, it really doesn't belong in the Amazing Fantasy title when you read it. These other three stories are similar to the content of issues 7 through 14, where I describe it as, you know, the 1950s Twilight Zone series. They're like Twilight Zone episodes without the middle. Mm. You get the setup, you get the twist ending, and then you move on to the next story. Right. There's four or five stories per. The first one here, the bell ringer, there's a man who wakes up and it's his job to ring the bells in this little town. And when a volcano erupts and everyone's evacuating, he will not leave because someone has to ring the bells. And apparently someone heard him because a shaft of light takes him up into the sky. The next issue, Man in the Mummy Case. There's a criminal who's trying to avoid capture. With a classic Stan Lee name, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Rocco Rank. He heads into a museum where a mummy says, come here, I'll hide you in my mummy case, you'll be secure. The police come in, they check the mummy case or the sarcophagus, and he's not there. And we find out later it's because the mummy case somehow sent him back in time, which could be an explanation for how the pyramids got built. <laughs> He is now part of the slave labor force. <laughs> I was saying to Scott that I absolutely, I, I actually really enjoy that story for two reasons. One, it's very Weeping Angels, like as yep. far as, you know, send them back in the past. And two, it's reminiscent of a Stephen King short story. Like it's just, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, I'm a huge King fan. And to me, it was just something that, you know, I could just see in one of his anthologies, just kind of like a quick little throwaway story that just kind of sticks with you. Yep. I liked it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the last one is, there are Martians among us. Crash spacecraft has been found. People have been put on the hunt to find Martians. There's a young couple at home. The husband is saying, you know what? I've got a couple things I've got to do out of the house. You stay here. Be safe. You know, it's not safe for us out there. He leaves. She realizes, oh, I'm out of coffee. He'd be in such a bad mood if I don't have coffee ready for his dinner. It won't take long to go to the store. Someone catches her in an alley. He gets home, realizes she's gone. And then, oh no, people are going to discover that we are the Martians. So they've crashed fairly recently, but somehow have managed to get forearm tailor suits in there because they, uh, <laughs> they brought them with them. Come on. Yeah. It's in their luggage. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's clearly we're looking at parallel evolution here for the similarities between them anyway. So, so that's that. And it's, I mean, yeah, I don't know if you, you guys feel the same way, but to me, it felt like most of Amazing Fantasy up to this point, because I did read them in the omnibus edition of all 15, at once it's Lee and Ditko, it is like Twilight Zone episodes, but without the middles. It's all. 
right? It's all kind of shock ending, you know, stories, right? I now granted I haven't read seven I haven't read any of the other ones, especially the Dicko ones, seven to fourteen. But um, you know, when you look at the Spider Man story, it is kind of a shock ending. Yes. You know, that that's still that <laughs> shock ending still is there because you don't realize <laughs> you don't realize, you know, what his as we'll get into, like what his sin was, you know, mm-hmm. as he, you know, as a, you know, great power and great responsibility and the fact that, oh, crap, it could have been, oh, that was the, that was a guy I let go. You know, that's kind never, that's kind of like the shock ending. though. Mm-hmm. Had it never caught on, that story would very well fit in with, you know, the shock ending because of, you don't really see that coming, you know, as the way the story is going at, you know, as reading it for the first time, I guess, if you had no, no prior knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I saw it. I saw it as fitting, you know, more. Yeah, somewhat. It's you, you do get that shock at the end, but in the rest, that's where. I mean, the man in the mummy case has a couple of fantastical elements. Where, you know, the mummy's out and about, but in the other two, that's where the fantasy really kicks in. So it's a little bit in the premise, and it's one. It it's one that turns your perception on the head. Where, well, to give it, a, we should probably do the plot synopsis of the Spider-Man story. Sure. Just in case there's someone out there who hasn't read the comic or <laughs> seen the movies or the cartoons yeah, or, or or the the many yeah the 1970s Nicholas Hammond you know anything there I have the synopsis I could uh, read it again again like just like uh, I did from for the uh, Master Planner trilogy it just comes directly from the official index of the Marvel Universe Amazing Spider-Man ed- edition go for it. So it's titled Spider-Man with an exclamation point with the hyphen, actually. Peter Parker is Midtown High's only professional wallflower, but his Uncle Ben and Aunt May think he's pretty special. Midtown science teacher Mr. Warren is also impressed with him, but Pete just can't get respect from his teenage peers. Sally Avril brushes him aside for Dreamboat Flash Thompson, and no one will join him at the science hall's experiments and radioactivity demonstration, where a spider descends just as the radioactivity is being unleashed. Dying, the spider bites the nearest living thing, Peter Parker, giving him enhanced speed, strength, agility, and the ability to cling to nearly any surface. Testing his powers, a disguised Peter accepts the public challenge to stay in the ring three minutes with wrestler Crusher Hogan and easily wins, attracting the attention of Agent Maxie Schiffman. At home, Peter creates a costume and web shooters, then appears on television as Spider-Man. At the studio, Spider-Man refuses to stop a fleeing burglar telling the pursuing guard, from now on, I just look out for number one. That means me. Days later, Peter returns home to learn that Uncle Ben was murdered by an intruder who is holed up in the Acme warehouse. Racing there as Spider-Man, Peter defeats the burglar and discovers that he is the man he could have stopped at the studio. Grief-stricken and guilt-ridden, he learns that with great power, there must also come great responsibility. And a legend is born. So, yeah, good, good stuff. Not that, you know, I think pretty much everyone in 54 years, I think everyone knows this origin already. Much so that probably the MCU version won't even have it. People assume that, oh, he's bitten by a radioactive spider, you know. Many people, some people still, I don't think, know that it's his Uncle Ben. The Uncle Ben, you know, that his responsibility of getting, you know, getting, getting shot that he could have prevented it. You know, they kind of... Touched, they touched on it a little bit in the Amazing Spider-Man movie, but I don't, I don't think they <laughs> drew, drove it home as much as they should have, like the Sam Raimi movies. No, yeah, the Amazing Spider-Man movie did a terrible job at it. Didn't they butcher it? Well, they they left it out and didn't use it verbatim, but I think that's. I believe that had the Sam Raimi movies not come out, Amazing Spider-Man would have been a lot more faithful to it. I think 
some of those choices were deliberate choices to be a, a greater departure from that trilogy that they were rebooting pretty darn quickly. Yeah. Right? There wasn't a lot of lag time between Spider-Man 3 and Amazing Spider-Man. No, not at all. So I suspect they just strayed a little bit further from the origin. Right. Than they otherwise would have just to distance themselves from the Sam Raimi trilogy and be something different. Yeah, right. Because it was so close. It was so, so soon after just to get the, you know, just to continue the rights. Yeah, because it was going to be Spider-Man 4 and then they recast and rebooted. Yeah, and then, but uh, source material, man, right here. Super, so good. Well, who knows? Maybe one of these days we'll get a a Spider-Verse movie with, you know, the (laughs) Marvel Cinematic Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire. Nicholas Hammond. I want to see him in there. <laughs> Danny Glover is Miles Morales. Yeah, totally. Yes. <laughs> oh, so good, man. Donald for Spider-Man. Yeah, completely. I really uh I, I really think even with the the dated dance references, you know, Flash Thompson mm-hmm. on the splash page saying that bookworm wouldn't know a cha-cha from a, from the waltz. I you know, still even with that dated reference, I think like I, Steve Dicko and Stan Lee, man, they they really made you feel like an outcast. You know, they really drove that home. I think just knowing, you know, how Sally's not giving him the time of day, being pushed around. You know, mm-hmm. someday I'll show them. Someday they'll be sorry. Sorry they laughed at me. They he they really nail it. They really nail how you know how it feels to be you know a, an alienated teenager. Yeah, I, I think if this had never been published and the idea was put out there for the first time today, as you said, they probably would have, you know, name-checked different dances. They probably wouldn't have said, I'm going to put you on Ed Sullivan's show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> aside from that, you know, aside from doing, you know, what they did in the movies and in Ultimate Spider-Man, where they probably shift away from the radioactive spider because, yeah. you know, radiation's not the unknown bugaboo it was anymore. Right. Now, it's, you know, not to downplay radiation. Yeah. You know, especially with what's still going on in Japan after their meltdown. Right. But it's just the general population understands it better. So the elements of the origin here wouldn't necessarily fly and it. They might have picked something else to make it happen. Like, yeah. You know, if people are scared about technological innovations now, I'm hearing a lot more fear mongering about GMOs than radiation these days. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, I think it would have gone genetic modification as they did in Ultimate Spider Man and Amazing and. Whatnot. Right, right. And I really uh, appreciate how just succinct this origin story is. This is like oh, one of the perfect origin stories because it's only 11 pages. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's just so, you know, in this time, Bendis took, you know, decompression, you know, it took <laughs> like six issues to tell this story. You know, this seven. is seven. Oh, it's seven. I, I totally forgot that. I thought it was six. Yeah. You know, it's been a long time since I've read the first arc back in 2000. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this is compression storytelling. <laughs> you know, everything you need is just right, right in there in eleven pages, man. It's a really still to this day. I think this is one of the most perfect origin stories in all of comics. Yeah, we, we've had a lot of first issues and first appearances show up on this list just because they're the first. I mean, Incredible Hulk one eighty one, the first significant Wolverine, right, is only on the list because Wolverine exists in there, not because it's a stellar story. But the Wendigo. (laughs) Speaking of Canada, my buddy's from Canada. (laughs) You're outnumbered, Scott. (laughs) I am, totally. (laughs) Yeah, but no, this is, yeah, this is one of those origins that stands up, right? This works. There's some, you know, in the ultimate 
universe, even though they took seven issues to tell it, aside from shifting it from a radioactive spider to a genetically engineered spider and making Norman Osborn the scientist that created it, fundamentally, there's not much difference here. Right. When they feel compelled to reboot Origins, this is one of those origins that doesn't need yeah. to be touched, aside from, as we said- Updating. You know. Yeah, let's right. not reference the Ed Sullivan show, because if Marvel's got a sliding timeline that goes back 12 years, right. Ed Sullivan was already off He's the already air. <laughs> right. You know, Fantastic Four number one happens 12 years ago today, whatever today is, with Marvel's shifting timeline, it's- Completely. I think that's why really- uh, you know, because you don't really want to touch this origin. Like you can, like you said, dance between the raindrops of filling in continuity, like in Untold Tales or like in Learning to Crawl from Dan Slott. But, you know, that's why I really think that's why John Burns chapter one was just not well received, not by, by me at the time too, but by pretty much fandom out there already, because they changed the origin so much that it was an explosion that was part of the 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 spider bite and uh you know that's just largely forgotten now that's just exists in a separate parallel universe now that time has gone on you know and yeah so yeah you just don't want to you you just don't mess with you just don't mess with you know pretty close to perfection i think yeah this is very much in the if it ain't broke don't fix it pile. exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> this, as far as origins go uh, if you're, you know, if I were the one spearheading the ultimate universe, like there, there would be nothing that needed to be changed, right? There's, there's not many origins where I wouldn't do that. Like even Superman's origin has been changed over the years. The whole, you know, last son of Krypton thing and his parents send him off in that sacrifice to save their child. That part hasn't changed. But you go back to Action Comics number one, he was found by random strangers who dropped him off in an orphanage and everybody who worked at the orphanage knew about his powers. Hmm. Right. It's only later that he was adopted by Eben and Sarah Kent, the names of which, you know, that showed up on the radio show where Ebenezer and Sarah adopted him. Those were the names used for the George Reeves series. It wasn't until the 50s that it became Jonathan and Martha Kent when it showed up in the Superboy comics. Mm, I right? didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. His origin has been changed. I think probably Spider-Man and Batman, I would say, are the two characters whose origins are the ones that are timeless. Right. 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 Even I'm a big Daredevil fan, but as much as I enjoy his origin story, I think it's one of the stronger ones, but wouldn't necessarily say it's timeless. Right. Right. Um, yeah. First, first Flash and Liz. I mean, a lot of, you know, like I said, you could go back as a, as a uh, Spider-Man fan, you know, reading for years and years and like, you know, go, you know, like they've done, they've reckoned a lot of stuff like Flash and Liz, first Flash and Liz. And then, you know, the girl who, uh, who who he turns down or that she turns down in the date Sally Avril she she appears in uh Busick's Untold Tales she has a major role major role there uh in Untold Tales first Mr. Warren you know who's later reckoned mm -hmm. to be the brother of uh Professor Miles Warren who's a jackal who we talked about in our last uh, rank 35 from uh, the master planner you know and then you know just the origin it's the origin so you know they're always going to go back to it and fill in things. So, you know, what I think is funny is uh, the spider bit Peter and then that spider jumped over and bit Cindy Moon, who later became Silk after, you know, she was in the, uh, after she was in the... Mm -hmm. The panic room. Yeah, the panic room. And then, then that spider just didn't die yet. So then, then the spider died and then a bully named Carl King eats it to gain these weird... Spider Powers from Tangled Web number one through three, written by Garth Ennis and John McRae. 
And then all this happens while Jessica Jones is creeping in the background watching. Just idly watching. From Alias. From the Alias uh, origin. So that's, that's when it becomes really absurd. But if you're a chronologist like myself, <laughs> this is where you have to you have to rectify all this stuff because <laughs> that's how my brain works. <laughs> if you're going to put everything in chronological order, it kind of becomes a little yeah. Like reading Spider-Man's <laughs> history in chronological order because of the number of times this origin has been revisited because it is such a landmark. You'd be like reading a panel from this book, a panel from that book, a panel from that one, a panel over here, a panel from here, back to the first one, then three panels over there. <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> I've actually done that. I've actually, I've actually cut out panels, copy them. I've cut out panels to try to put it in order. And they just come out with so much, like learning to crawl that needs th- that to rectify it, to put it all in chronological order. Uh, season one, cause there's all, you know, my, my whole, when I do the chronological, when I, when I put them all in chronological order, you know, I, I, I always stick with the Ditko, like that's mm-hmm. gospel. So if it's any new panels or new information, then I, then I, then I kind of put yeah. them in between the panels, you know, when I'm, when I'm like setting it up. So, um, but that's a long-term project that, that'll probably take another 60 years <laughs> putting everything in chronological order. <laughs> yeah. But your office will have some awesome wallpaper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. These panels taped up everywhere. Exactly. You probably market that. This guy's a madman. Oh no. They'd say it would be like, and then have the thread with all the, have the thread with all the like the tax, you know. So I'm like, I'm a, I'm a psychotic madman. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, a lot of stuff to go go back to as far as uh, page four, panel two. There's a the little boy who uh, watches him go up the building. He says, "Mommy, look at the man walking up the side of the building." And she says, "That's the last horror movie I'm gonna take you to, young man." That uh, that shows that that little boy shows up again in Marvel Comics presents number one hundred and twenty. Uh, for a little forgettable story he's like grown you know and he thinks he knows who spider-man is and then the big one the big one is when pete leaves his house to uh go after uh the man who shot his uncle's killer it's like retcon later that mj mary jane saw saw him leaving uh and that's when during the defalco friends run that's when she revealed that you know hey i've known you were spider-man all this time and that was the time i found out and that's listed in uh, uh, graphic novel Parallel Lives, which actually just was re-released like a couple of years ago, just in comic book form. So it's not the big magazine. Yeah, it's also in Digital Unlimited. Ah, very good. Yeah, always forget that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. You know, you're gonna in any origin story, you're gonna you know whether it's the Hulk or whether it's the FF. I mean, you're always gonna go back and you know kind of fill in fill in panels if you want to. You know. Yeah, you can. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the reason it that so much has been done with this. We like to talk about the significance of it, which I think we made pretty clear. First appearance of Spider-Man and much of his supporting cast. Right. And the impact, the first appearance of Spider-Man. <laughs> right. right? Um, On a global scale? Prior. Yeah. I'd say from about 1961 until about 1995. If you asked a random person on the street who didn't buy comics, name a Marvel Comics character. If they didn't come up with a DC character, the most likely response that you're going to get would be Spider-Man. And I would think for most of that time, Hulk would probably be second place. He might have come up to number one while the Bill Bixby show was on the air. Mm-hmm. But Spider-Man is, by and large, the Marvel mascot yeah. and has been for years. That may have shifted with you know the Avengers franchise doing so well and Spider-Man only just becoming a part of it now. Right? He may 
move back to that prominence because now he's part of the fold instead of just he, right having movies on his own, some of which are almost universally well-received, some of which are almost universally not for whatever reason. But he is that Marvel mascot. He's the one that people know. And he is the one that proved that, yeah, the teenager can be the hero. Mm-hmm. Because that was Stanley's gut instinct is, you know, when he created Spider-Man, he was already 40 years old. Mm-hmm. Right? He he had or had seen a lot of kids of his own. And he noticed, you know, if kids are playing Batman and Robin, you know, it, the kids wanted to be Batman. It was whoever's younger brother was tagging along was the one that got assigned the role of Robin. <laughs> right? They didn't want to be the teenage sidekicks. Even though the publishers kept putting them in saying, no, this is like our reader. That's the one they'll identify with. That was never the goal. Right? It most of those guys wanted to be the lead. Stanley took that idea and he figured, well, let's make the teenager the hero and not the sidekick. Because maybe then we get both worlds. They get to be the star and they get to be a teenager. And isn't it, you know, Stan's been in interviews and, and things like that where he said, didn't he really hated sidekicks yeah. to begin with? Like yeah. he's he's on record as saying he, he really didn't like the teenage sidekick. Let's, you know, let's make the teenager... You know, let's put him with all his problems, you know, first and foremost. Oh, yeah. What happens the first time Stanley gets the chance to write a teenage sidekick? He kills him in a flashback. Bye-bye, Bucky. <laughs> See you later, Bucky. <laughs> this is why you don't exist in the 60s. But then, uh, yeah, trying to get it to... Then he, like, then he tried to push that on Martin Goodman. And he's like, well, let's just do it in mm-hmm. a canceled title that's already canceled. Let's try that out. And even then, it's t- to hear him tell the story, Martin Goodman wasn't saying... Oh yeah, let's try it out. It was Martin Goodman saying, "No sidekicks, no sidekicks, no sidekicks." It's Stanley going, "Well, amazing, fifteen, amazing's already been canceled. I'm going to snick it into fifteen because no one's going to pay any attention, <laughs> right?" And then he remembers the, you know, the several months down the road when they actually got the sales numbers back because of the the amount of time it took to produce the comics, you know, followed by the amount of time it took to get the sales figures back. There was an eight or nine month delay before Goodman came knocking on his office door, walking in one day, and said, "Hey." Remember that idea for the teenage superhero you had that we both like so much? Let's give him his own title. <laughs> How we remember things differently. Yeah, because this this is one of the characters, like, it didn't take long for Spider-Man to catch up to and even overtake the Fantastic Four in sales. Oh, right, right. And then when Avengers started booming, they were number one for a while. But even this, of all the characters Stanley has created, he has said Spider-Man is his favorite. Right. And you look at Stanley's history in the early 60s, aside from a couple things that his brother was scripting, even though Stan was still plotting them, he was writing everything Marvel published. Right. Not just the superhero comics that we've been talking about, but even like Millie the Models and, you know, Patsy Walker long before she became Hellcat, when she was still a supporting character in the Millie the Model titles. Right, right. And still, you know, also Stan Lee still, as of this recording, still still writing with his brother, the comics, or the strip, the newspaper strip. That uh, still, you can see it online, you can see it on newspapers, Comic Shop News has it. So I still read it to this day, just going to the comic shop and picking up uh, Comic Shop News. So Yeah. Yeah. It just, he hasn't stopped that. It's, of all of those, in terms of the monthly comics, he wrote more issues of Fantastic Four than any other title. But that's just because Fantastic Four had a head start, both in the publications diet cycle and in shifting from bi-monthly to monthly. Yeah. Because if you look at his regular assignments... On the the calendar, he gave up Fantastic Four before he gave up Spider-Man. Right. Spider-Man was the last monthly assignment as a writer that he gave up. It was just, you know, Fantastic Four, as we said, had enough of a head start. He still has the higher issue count for that. Exactly. So it's interesting, too, how uh, 
you know, he originally, when he was putting together this, this title or this story, that he had Jack Kirby draw it first. You know, it wasn't going well. It, it seems like, you know, it was, uh, you know, he was making him too muscular and, you know, too dynamic before he finally realized that, oh, you know, that let's, let's, let's have Steve Dicko do it. Uh, you know, so yeah, and I'm glad he did. But I'm, I'm glad he, I'm glad he did, because I mean, like, it's just no one makes, you know, a skinny little nerd of a boy, you know, could draw it better than Dicko. <laughs> no, because he drew himself. That's my theory. As I was just looking through this, there's a few different pages where um, I found an old picture of Ditko. It's the one where he's sitting at his drawing desk. One of the few. Yeah, one of the few available. And what is it? It's pa- uh, page four. Panel four is one, and then. But um, there's a couple of pictures, and I actually sent them side by side to Scott, and it kind of looks like he might have drawn himself as, or or definitely used himself as a reference model. Yeah. In in the creation of Peter Parker. Yeah, I've been reading Spidey for years and years. I didn't. Yeah, I said, oh yeah, you know, you're you're right. That it does look like him. <laughs> yeah, no, but just great. I just love, uh, you know, just love the. The, the the spindliness and just how skinny he is and the original Dicko costume too with all the with all the uh, webs the and the, yeah the black the 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 black with the blue highlights rather than how later it becomes Ramita when Ramita takes over then the blue part of the costume becomes blue with black highlights I just love that black you know that that black with the blue highlights look just looks more mysterious and. That's the way Dicko was. It was like, you know, made it more urban and more crime noir uh, type of stories rather than, you know, super science fiction. Uh, just, yeah, real good. Our, the pit, the web pits that really go down really far. Yeah, just love, love that whole costume design. Yeah, well, even that, that color scheme, the red and black, is more in line with the actual spiders you'll find in nature. Yeah, mm. yes. yeah, yeah, that's right. right. I mean, when they wanted the blue and black one for the first or the blue and red one for the first Sam Raimi movie, they realized there are no species of spider that did that. And because of spider's physiology and, you know, the fact that they essentially breathe through their shells, had they painted the spider, they'd have killed it. So believe it or not, that spider, that blue and red spider in that cage is wearing a tiny little knitted costume that they dressed it in. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot imagine the level of skill required to create a form-fitting costume for something as fragile as a spider and then dressing it. I'm going to dress this spidey. This and doing spider. it without injuring the spider. And doing it without freaking out about touching the spider. Exactly. Well, it's with the Humane Society. They, they couldn't harm it or they'd get a fine and they managed to get away without it. They dressed that spider, got the shot, and undressed it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's crazy. That's some, seri- that's some serious knitting skills right there. <laughs> that's next level. You, you don't even know. That's next level. Wow. Yeah, so him, if that was my job, I'd be like, can we do it 100% CGI? No. Can we do like a tarantula and superimpose it and make it look smaller? So uh, how, do you guys remember how you first read this story? Sure do. For me, it was um, actually a copy of, um, it was like the 92 silver framed masterworks. Mm-hmm. Um, friend had it. I read it till it fell apart. <laughs> just, just, just the first part. Like Scott, I didn't read it until getting ready to do this podcast. But you had read, was that the first time, like when it dropped? Was it like in 92? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, sorry, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Back, back when it first came out off the shelf, like I, you know, probably should have bought him a new one. 
Yeah. Did you realize at the time, like, oh, it's first appearance of Spider-Man reprint. Oh, I'll check it out. Is that kind of the way it was for you? Or did you, had you already it's, been it's, reading it's Spider-Man? It's embarrassing. No, no, it's embarrassing. We're all transparent here. I know. I And, oh, God. I thought it was the first appearance of Spider-Man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I thought it was basically like it was, it was. Oh, you thought it was the actual issue? Yeah. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Like, I was, I don't know. I was like nine. Yeah, but you know, you're nine years old. You don't know. And I live in (laughs) Meaford. Yeah, you're only. (laughs) Well, you know what? That that makes you about five years younger than my classmates. And a lot of them thought that those Marvel Milestone editions were the first publications of that too like remember one guy's like i got an awesome deal on fantastic four number one it was like uh there's only two bucks <laughs> um that's a reference <laughs> i was like no no way like well let's open the front cover and check the copyright date <laughs> yeah yeah like i i didn't i didn't i don't know like it i knew that there had been spider-man stories previously because my uncle had quite the collection and i had seen his comics but yeah it's it's embarrassing being <laughs> where i am now looking back at where i was look how close look how far you've come in your fandom i know <laughs> thanks Scott. my uh no you're from <laughs> my first uh my first read of amazing fantasy 15 was um in the origins of marvel comics it was a uh book by stan lee from 1974 it's like one of the first trade paperbacks too and uh it was um there was Origins of Marvel Comics and Son of Origins and Superhero Women and Bring on the Bad Guys. And um, in all of these books, especially Origins of Marvel Comics, they would go in order and they start with Fantastic Four and they would have, you know, Stan Lee would do an essay. Uh, it was all written by him and, and uh, they would have the first issue uh, reprinted and then they would have kind of a current, like semi-current issue so you could see where they, where they are now. Um, so Spidey was, that was the first time I read Amazing Fantasy 15, that 11 page story. And then they had reprinted also, I think it was Amazing Spider-Man 69, I think it was a Ramita one with the shocker kind of saying, Oh, where is he now? Okay. Now he's with Gwen Stacy and things like that. So, uh, that was the, that was before I had decided to, you know, make Spider-Man my main, my main guy, you know, collect collectibles and all the and and get all the comics and stuff but that was the first time i remember you know i remember reading amazing fantasy 15 how about you uh for me it was second grade there was uh a hardcover in the school library that was just all about spider-man a lot of it was prose some of it had like strength comparisons that i now know came from the little inserts in the annuals where they had that here's how the powers work here's that and you know all the way through they kept promising and towards the end we're reprinting that first appearance we're reprinting that first appearance and looking at it now, I think they were actually cutting it up because it was a squarish book. Okay. And I remember the sort of that splash page that introduces them being narrow on the page. And then the others, it was more a square layout. So if we look through it, Ditko's usually using three rows of panels on each page, and they were chopping it. So two pages of Ditko artwork became three pages oh. in this book. So they take the first two rows, the third row would become the top of the next page, the bottom of page two. Savages. In the hardcover was the top row of page two of the comic. And then, so this 11-page story became more like a 15- or 16-page story in the end because they were just, it's like they cut up the panels and rearranged them to make them fit. Mm, I got it. Now, is this a, is this a Canadian book? Because I'm not, I usually, I usually have a lot of these source books. And this one, right. that one doesn't sound familiar to me. 
I'm like looking on my bookshelf right now, seeing if I could see like which one you're talking about. No, uh, it's. I remember it was a mostly white hardcover. Is right. it Ultimate Guide by Tom DeFalco? No, I don't know. This would have been like I said, it was second grade, so we're looking at about eighty four, eighty five, and it was already in the school library. Okay, so I don't know. Maybe I could sit back to Crawford Plains and see if it survived the last 30 years. <laughs> Get back to you on it. But. See if it has, like, the covers are falling off. <laughs> yeah, but that was my first exposure to the Spider-Man portion of Amazing Fantasy 15. Nice. I believe my first exposure to reading the rest of them was on the CD-ROMs when Get Corp put those out for the first time. Before the DVD-ROMs, the first Spider-Man came out on, I believe it was a 22 CD-ROM set. Mmm. I think, Scott, you might have it handier now. When I got the DVD ROM, I gave my CD ROMs away to someone else who'd appreciate it to just, you know. Right, right. Kind of a pay it forward thing. Yeah, yeah. I remember you But they, you. yeah, they had a, you know, they just collected them all. They didn't have the annuals at the time. Those are on the DVD ROMs. But that CD ROM set was Amazing 15 plus Amazing Spider, Amazing Fantasy 15 plus Amazing Spider-Man 1 through 500. Exactly. Yeah, I still have, I still have those. Even before then, like when when they were starting to do that, they were putting like mini discs out. I remember when Marvel Digital was just in its infancy, and uh, you know I still have it somewhere in a box. But they have a little mini disc they put in, and then you know I was like, oh, Digital Comics was like one of the first ones, you know, 1.0. And I remember seeing it, and you know, then I remember like taking like because one of my you know my favorite one of my favorite panels from of all time in Amazing Fantasy 15, but just pretty much of comics in general is uh, page 11, panel 4, where he's finally got the burglar, and he finally realizes that that's his, uh, that that's the dude who killed his Uncle Ben, and you could see his eyes through the, through the, norm- the normally, yeah, so that's one way of his eyes emoting, you know, and I took that panel from the DVD-ROM, and I, you know, you could, you know, print it out on an iron-on, and I ironed it onto a shirt. <laughs> this is like early. This is early two thousands. Yeah, I'm, I'm pull. Yeah, so that's how much I love that panel. Is like I'm gonna iron it on a shirt, and that's pretty much the you know that's pretty much the whole crux of the character right there. His original sin. <laughs> that hardcover book I mentioned. Yeah, they even added the, another caption box at the bottom saying, "By the way." This is pretty much the only chance you're ever going to see to see Spider-Man's eyes through the mask. <laughs> nice little editorial. <laughs> yeah, I remember they added that piece of yeah. commentary. And I swear at the time, because it was the only time, Yeah. I, until I reread it later on in other reprints, I was convinced that the people who put that hardcover book together had drawn the pupils in <laughs> for that publication. <laughs> that, that was something that they just did. That's hilarious. There's a lot of reprints also like in Marvel Tales that they they sometimes they'll the colorist will blot those eyes out, like white them out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, those those little dots, they belong there. They belong there. In uh Masterworks they're not there. Oh really? I wonder what uh some versions like in your you mean in your Masterworks? In the one, the one, one the ninety two right one. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Sure. I think the Marvel Tales in the eighties, yeah, uh when they started, you know, they rebooted Marvel Tales. They kept the numbering, but then they started over with Amazing Fantasy 15 and, and uh, Amazing number one, number two. And that was when I first started, you know, collecting Spider-Man comics. So it was a good time to collect because you'd get, you know, the current stuff. You'd be trying to hunt for back issues like I was talking about at the last podcast that we were together. And uh, you'd also have the old stuff that was reprinted. 
but I'm pretty sure that that Marvel Tales like blotted his eyes out. So yeah, well, the Marvel Digital Unlimited and the Amazing Fantasy Omnibus both have those dots in there. Very good. Yep. There you go. Good check. I'm gonna check my original printing of Marvel Masterworks just to see because I just got it on the shelf here really quick. And it's nope. Yep. This is the one that was the first like volume volume one Marvel Masterworks from the '90s. The hardcover. Yeah, they don't have the eyes in there at all. So verified. Crazy. Gotta have those eyes. I wasn't gonna lie to you. <laughs> yeah, but your Marvel Masterworks is the comic version, though, right? Yeah, it's true. I have the the hardcover in my room. Gotcha. In the office, you got that one too. Yeah, but in your comic version, it has the eyes are out. The eyes are whited out. Yes. So yeah. So also in the Marvel Masterworks, the new Marvel Masterworks uh, that I think are released since since two thousand or actually since 2008, they have a really good section in the back. This is also in the new Epic Collections, because the whole 11 pages, except for the cover, not, not the cover of uh, Amazing Fantasy 15, was anonym, anonymously donated uh, to the Library of Congress, the original art, uh, in 2008. And it's cool, because they have a nice photo stats of those, so you can kind of see Ditko's whiteouts, and then they have, it's annotated, as well, so you can kind of see what what changes he made and certain instructions from Stan. So it's really cool. If I'm ever in Washington D.C., I mean, I would love to. I would love to just go check. You know, it's under glass. You know, just to bring him out and just look at him. You know, you'll be arrested. <laughs> I didn't say steal him. <laughs> yeah, but you're getting so much trouble just for the drool that you'd be leaving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. If you were ever within, yeah, yeah you'd, you'd be arrested if you were. Exactly. Those pages have a restraining order against you. <laughs> right. Me too. But you're like, we know you have an, or we know you have an orthodontic office all decked out in Spider-Man stuff. We've heard of you. <laughs> oh, he's finally here, guys. He's finally here. Lock it up. <laughs> Deb's called ahead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So the next part may be just as obvious as the impact and significance, but next part of the podcast is the one I have so shamelessly stolen from Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. You know, they're doing great work. You guys should all check it out if you haven't started listening already. But yeah, Scott, Ben, are there any messages and morals that you can learn from Spider-Man's origin and possibly carry through life? With great power, there must also come great responsibility. I know, that, that's become like a moral now. That, that that's is. Beca- in 54 years, that's, that whole mantra has become, has become an actual moral. So, you know, there's that. And they, uh, it's funny, too, because I looked that, I, I kind of looked that up, too, because there's a good... Uh, there's a book uh, by Peter David called The Spider-Man Vault, and uh, he wrote it with uh, Robert Greenberg. Yeah, and uh, he, he writes in his intro about the great power quote, and it says, he says, quote, Peter David says, many have speculated as to Stan Lee's inspiration for the quote uh, with proposed sources ranging from the Bible to Winston Churchill. And according to Lee, and I think he got this quote from the Origins of Marvel Comics, uh, Stan Lee says, I really, I can't do a Stanley voice, so sorry. I really think I just made it up. I don't remember having read it anywhere. If I had known it would become so memorable, I'd have given it more thought. That sounds like Stan. It totally sounds like <laughs> Stan. Yeah, he, he has even said that he didn't remember writing the line until fans started coming up and saying, that was so perfect. It's like, okay. He remembers being totally confused the first time someone did it because they commented on that line without mentioning which comic they had read it in. 
And he had no clue where to go back and look for it. <laughs> he doesn't know. Was that an Ant-Man story? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's become so prominent. I mean, it was a weird all year lyric in his Spider-Man song, right? Uh, that's right. With great power comes great responsibility. That's the catchphrase of old Uncle Ben. If you missed it, don't worry. They'll say the line again and again and again. <laughs> <laughs> and then just, you know, the whole thing. You know, you could take this home. Like, you know, don't let your pride, don't let your pride get in, get in the way yeah. of doing what's right. You know, pride goes mm -hmm. before the fall from Proverbs. Yeah, it is. And that's really what sets Spider-Man apart. Most of these characters, when they get their powers or in the case of mutants, realize they have powers. They have this habit of saying, oh, we have powers now, like Fantastic Four. As soon as they realize they have powers, Reed goes, you know what we have to do? And Ben says, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to team up to save the world and make it a better place, right? Yeah. It's the automatic choice, whereas Spider-Man doesn't make that choice automatically. He learns that lesson the hard way, which is one of the things that sets him apart. He does go for the probably more plausible, mm. the, the selfish route of, I'm going to use this for personal gain. And that's what we were talking about earlier. Yep, yep. He's going to do what a teenager would do. I'm going to get money and get girls. <laughs> And it's, I mean, to his credit, it's not completely selfish. It's not just, yeah. I'm never going to have to have financial problems again. It's Aunt May, Uncle Ben, and I are never going to have financial problems again. I'm going to take care of the only people who have yeah. loved me, and they're never going to have to worry again. That's that's his motivation, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. But if you're not one of those three people, he didn't care. Yeah, exactly. It's you could a, go hang. It's a super villain or origin, just like Ben was saying. It is. It really is. If you look at it, yeah. Mm -hmm. If If he hadn't, you know, messed up. And uh, it came to bite him in the end, you know, and he realizes mm -hmm. it's his fault. He's totally driven, driven by guilt all, all the way. Mm -hmm. Little aside, I drew this cover for Scott. Yeah. And I drew him. I drew him as the man he's carrying. <laughs> and I was just going to say that this cover by Jack Kirby and Steve Dicko has been riffed many, 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 many times, including yes. my good friend, Ben. <laughs> mm -hmm. Saving Scott from those screaming One Direction fans. <laughs> yep. And it's not even Ditko's first draft of the cover. If you dig around online, you could see what Ditko had in mind at first. Yep. Wasn't that a 700 or a number it, one? It was a variant? variant. It was a very expensive variant uh, for yeah. 700. Yeah. 700, with a, yeah. With a nice orange cover. Yeah. And then there was yep. really limited. Yeah. They want like 600 bucks for it, so. I didn't get one. But, but that's, yeah, that's his original. That's in the Masterworks as well, like the yeah. original like cover. Yeah, and it is. I think that original cover, it, I think it's a it's a nicer cover. It's a lot more dynamic. But when I find out, you know, read about why Stan Lee turned it down, it's because Spider-Man kind of has his back to the viewer, mm, mm -hmm. the way it's set up. And he's like, no, that's not the way we want to introduce it. We want him to be front and center in the focus. So, yeah, Ditko's cover that was rejected for Amazing 15 I'm surprised they didn't just sit on it and say, okay, this will be cover of Amazing 2 if it gets picked up. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Once people are familiar with it, it's a it's a gorgeous cover. So. Yeah, oh, it is. Yeah. But that that the Kirby one, I generally don't like when Kirby draws Spider-Man because, you know, the, he has several, you know, several stories, you know, mostly with the Fantastic Four and some of the early Amazings. And it just, you know, just doesn't, just doesn't look good. But I mean, there's something about having Ditko ink him. And that just like the cover, just him holding that dude is just so iconic. You know, it's just so, so such a great cover. It is. So I think from here we move on to why we think it landed at this point in the rankings. Oh, it should. Oh yeah, it should be number ten. It it should be in the top ten. And yeah, so I'm glad that sure. it's in there. Yeah, it's it's got to be. It's a, one of the best origin stories in superhero comics. 
I don't know. Maximum Carnage. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, that's way. That we're way behind that now. Yeah, yeah. We've moved on, <laughs> or have we? Yeah, or have we? <laughs> yeah, no. Top ten for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, if we look at the three criteria, we usually look at entertainment value. Check. So, yep. Right. They could have never returned to this character, and this would still be the standout issue of the fifteen issue Amazing Run, Amazing Fantasy Run. Yeah. Ah, the second point. Impact and significance on continuity. Huge. Um, huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, kind of a big check. Yeah. <laughs> really, yeah. I mean, if you go exactly. to the, the Marvel Chronology Project, where a bunch of Marvel fans are putting every appearance of every character in order, Spider-Man has the most appearances by a fairly sizable margin. That's what I use, too, Blaine, is I, I cross-reference that that site, man. That's that's awesome. So it also tells me, oh, I'm missing, you know, oh, I'm missing this stray appearance, usually. Yeah, because it's pretty complete. Yeah. It is. That's how I found out that by complete luck, I've got all but one ish appearance of the Mad Thinker. <laughs> so at some point, I'm going to have to track down that, you know, higher numbered issue of Marvel Team Up. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> I think it was in like the 120s or 130s. <laughs> Shouldn't be too hard to find. <laughs> yeah, I just remember yeah. being annoyed when I found out which issue it was, because it's literally one essential volume away from it, and Marvel oh, yeah. seems to have discontinued the essential. <laughs> the third uh, reason that we things usually land on the list is, you know, do they have a message or moral or something that makes you think about the way you're living your life? And it's got that too, to the point that when Spider-Man's involved, it's almost a cliche, mm -hmm. because it's not just a one-off moral. This is something that's, it's so resonant that creative team after creative team after creative team have chosen to come back and show that lesson again. Every time Spider-Man starts to waver or thinks maybe he should quit, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. Comes it's the back. ultimate trope. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, exactly. That, you know, he'll, he'll picture Uncle Ben, you know, as a floating head of guilt. Yeah. And then he'll get that, okay, I got to put the costume back on. You know, I got to put the costume back on now, you know, because that's what I have to do because I'm, you know, guilty. That was my original sin. Yeah. Yeah. So, listeners, if you see a burglar running by you, stop them. Damn well, trip stop them. All you have to do is just trip them. Just trip them up. Something. All you had to do was trip them. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's, it is a lesson some people have learned. Uh, Joe Straczynski, who had a, a very good run on Amazing Spider-Man, at least until maybe the last couple of issues, some of which he wanted to take his name off. But anyway, <laughs> uh, he since past, since past, yeah. We can get into Sins Past, but what, what Straczynski pitched is not what was published in that one, too. Yeah, his pitch, Norman Osborn was not the father. But anyway, yeah, he he was standing on the street, and someone robbed a jewelry store and went running by. And, I mean, for him, Superman is his guy, but Superman, Spider-Man, he learned that lesson. He not only knocked that the jewel thief down on the streets of Vancouver, but he stood on him until the police arrived, memorizing every detail of his face. So when he was called into court and asked, you know, so many months later, are you sure you can identify him? Can you give a description? And he closed his eyes and described him so well that the guy changed his plea from not guilty to guilty. Because <laughs> he's like, yeah, the, you know, he he was a writer. He memorized the lines of his face, went home, wrote down the description, and then read it in court. And they're like, yeah, okay. I didn't uh, you, I you got heard that me. story. That's an awesome story. That's awesome. JMS is a hero. <laughs> <laughs> plus he's a big yeah. plus he's a big guy i mean you know to stand on someone yeah that would be intimidating mm -hmm. already <laughs> yeah yeah it's if you can still track them down his uh babylon 5 script books mm. he talks a lot about what was going on in his head when he was writing those scripts and a lot of those stories come out in that and it's it's cool. actually pretty incredible yeah that's awesome <laughs>
Cool. Yeah, it definitely deserves to be on the list and, and definitely in the top 10. Yeah, it, if anything, reading it, looking at the top 10, I certainly wouldn't move it lower, but you could make a case. It's better than Secret or no, wait, no, Secret Wars already happened, right? Yeah, Secret Wars was last week. Okay, right. For the sake of the listener, it's understandable confusion. This is being recorded in advance by, you know, we're recording a couple weeks in advance. The Secret Wars episode, which hasn't released yet, was recorded in October 2015. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that there's at least four or five stories in the top 10, which I would say probably belong on this list lower than Amazing 15. Okay. Right. Right. I, I, if I were to reposition this, I'd say it's definitely in the top 10, mm. but I would quite possibly push it into the top five. That's what I'd say too. Uh, that's that. what, yeah. I would I would vote for that too. <laughs> but we're biased because we're- Yeah, like, slightly. Fans, slightly. You know? Definitely top five, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And it's to me, I enjoy Spider Man, but I'm not, you know, I don't have an office decked out in Spider Man. For me, you like should. <laughs> if, if I were to give my list of like the top Marvel heroes, you're Daredevil. There's probably no, yeah, Daredevil's you're, you're Daredevil. One. You're, Daredevil's your jam. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> then there's, then there's a gap in a few other names before we get to Spider Man as well. But even then, I would say this story belongs higher than some of these. Oh, yeah. Not the Daredevil story, but that belongs three slots higher than it is anyway. So. We we could agree to disagree on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what comic fans do. <laughs> the good ones. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, if I was the only person making this top 75 list, there'd be a lot more Daredevil and a lot less of everybody else. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> this is Blaine's top 75. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, good stuff. No, good, uh, really, really good stuff. Yeah, so do you guys have any closing thoughts on this? Ben? Went the whole podcast without mentioning Drunk Pete, so I've got to say, we did do this for Drunk Pete. Ah, yes, that is that is right. That's right. What beer did I drink? Myth- mythos. You drank a mythos. Which makes sense. Start of the mythology, right? Yeah. And that mm-hmm. was a good beer, too. And uh, and I, you know, during that Drunk Pete, I read the original copy, too, because... Uh, yes, you did. I am fortunate enough... It was enough, supposed to be digital only, but I, you... I actually, you freaked I me actually out the brought... Whole time. I still have my copy that's... It's not CGC'd, so it's not slabbed, and uh, I, I was fortunate enough that it was the last comic that I needed to complete my run back in the 80s, and I think, remember, I talked to you guys about the fact that uh, I worked in a comic book store in the 80s before I went to dental school and uh, I want to give a shout out to Tom and Mary from Las Vegas who gifted me a really nice copy of Amazing Fantasy 15 back in probably was like 87 or so so even then it was too expensive for my blood as a high school student a college student and uh, so yeah they gave me that copy so that was the final issue that I needed to complete uh, my amazing run so I read it I read it I was very careful because <laughs> I know eventually I'm not going to be able to do that anymore. You know, I'm going to have mm-hmm. to slab it. I'm going to have to, you know, CGC it when, you know, girls, my, my girls get a little older and, you know, thinking about downsizing. Unless I want to just give it to Ben, you know. <laughs> <laughs> let's keep that. Let's keep that. It. Let's yes, put that. that let's that put is, a pin uh, in yes, that That's one. official now. That's official. <laughs> it's in yes, the internet. I, I could document that it's an option. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> Well, I didn't hear a promise. Yeah. But I hear an option. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was a good drunk Pete book. Uh, it was one that we had to do. 
you know. Um, and uh, there was probably a few people who read it for the first time during that time. There actually too. was a few so people. It's always yeah. good because that's the whole point of it is just to introduce new people to Spider-Man on a weekly basis. And to go through your own box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Try to find uh, try to find old issues that you haven't read in a long time. Yeah. Obscure ones. Very carefully. <laughs> Very. <laughs> All right. Cool. Thank you so much for having us back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks for joining me. And look forward. Those of you at home. Yeah. It's not the last time you're going to hear these guys. Uh, there might be a hunter involved. Uh, Spoiler. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Clawing out of a grave, maybe. Yeah. Maybe something. Maybe. Think yeah. of black suit. Yeah. Black suits and okay. sewers. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. that rules out white tiger. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. Thanks so, so much, Blaine. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. And for those listening and following along at home, next week we're going to be looking at Captain America the Winter Soldier, which is reprinted in Captain America by Ed Brubaker, Omnibus, Captain America, Marvel's Greatest Comics, number one, at least part of it is. Captain America Winter Soldier, that story arc itself was collected in a couple volumes each of hardcovers and trade paperbacks. It's also available on Comixology. Issue 10 in this 14-issue run is collected in House of M, World of M, featuring Wolverine. And the full run is available in Marvel Digital Unlimited, Marvel Heroes Flip Magazine 1-13, to and the Gitcorp DVD-ROM for Captain America. So there's a few places to track that one down if you are so inclined. And let's face it, we're in the top 10. You should be so inclined. All right. And then uh, from there, please feel free to rate this and any other shows you listen to on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher you use. It really does help the shows get noticed. You can join our Facebook discussion forum to discuss this and all the stories that show up on this list. And finally. Thank you for listening. Comic books aren't for kids anymore. We've heard the refrain for years in mainstream media, but 30 seconds at the end of a newscast or two paragraphs in a magazine can't provide the -the behind-the-scenes information or entertainment like one episode of Word Balloon. Welcome to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. This is John Suntress. Word Balloon is a one-on-one interview program featuring pop culture conversations with storytellers. People who don't read today's comic books may think the medium is still being written for nine-year-olds, but as film, television, and video game producers can tell you, they couldn't be more wrong. These writers and artists are just as entertaining talking about their process as they are producing the stories they make. Listen to a sample episode and discover why Word Balloon leads the way in pop culture entertainment coverage.